Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. How should Christians view Pride Month? And then, are our culture wars defined by good versus evil? One pastor believes so. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Koble. my name is Brian Fromm. Aubrey Sampson is away for the week, enjoying some rest and relaxation, a little early summer vacation. So I'm joined all week by Steve Koble, teaching pastor of Renewal Church in Chicago. And... Uh, Dad of two, including a six and a half week year old. Is that did I say that correctly? A child who is six and a half weeks old. So uh that's nuts, man. That's that is uh I don't even remember those days. Like my youngest yeah. is now 14 years old. So uh six and a half weeks is something. That's uh do you even get out of the house at this point? <laughs> Actually, we've been doing a lot of stuff, more maybe than most. Um we went and saw a comedy show the other day. We, um, and then my wife has come with me with the baby. I have a uh, college a college graduate who's in between jobs living with us, so I have like a built in babysitter. So nice. I'm trying to live as normal as possible. A college graduate living. At first, I'd be like, that sounds like a terrible idea because now you have a new baby and a college person. But built-in babysitting, that's a that's a good call right there. So that's not bad. Uh, well, Steve is going to do his best to stay awake with us today. He's going to uh, – he probably has like just hears crying in his head at all times. So, uh, But we're excited to have Steve join us. All right, Steve, let's just dive into the deep end here. Um. We're going to talk a lot about the culture wars and this and that, but it really feels like it's getting ramped up and it feels like it's hit a new degree this month with Pride Month. So this uh, June, right, we're in June, June is Pride Month. And so you see lots of rainbow flags, but you've also seen uh, it just the, the heat of, of both sides kind of turned up a little bit. Like, so, you know, the president, um, tweeted a picture of a pride flag at the white house and you get all of this stuff. And I get these questions. I don't know if you do, but how should we as Christians approach something like pride month, especially when it's getting kind of more for lack of a better word, kind of mainstreamed and kind of in your face, uh, culturally speaking. So you've got some Christians who are like, I don't know if you've seen these social media posts, right? Like, uh, my pride is in this. And, you know, you're like, okay, I get what you're doing, but whatever. Somebody comes to you, says, pastor, how should I, as a Christian, just kind of approach, how should I be this month? Does a question make sense? What's kind of the pastoral word towards, uh, you know, Christians and pride month? What, 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 you got any thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of think that it's impossible to, without the, the working of grace and the Holy Spirit in your life to live a Christian lifestyle. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, when, you, when you think about the cost of discipleship and submission to Jesus as Lord, um, all of those different things, like we shouldn't expect. So when we talk about the culture wars, we shouldn't expect uh, non-Christians to uh, operate the way that we operate. Um, they don't even have the power to, to do so. Um, and so that's just one perspective that I want to uh, communicate to my congregation. And then at the same time, um, a lot of uh, there's value in honoring the image of God in people. And the even the idea of, of it being called Pride Month, I, I, you know, maybe I should know this. Maybe I should look up uh, the history behind some of the elements of it. But I think the opposite of pride is shame. And so how do you push through uh, your shame than to embrace being proud of who you are or whatever whatever the case may be, right? And I've pastored uh, people who have been same-sex attracted since as long as they can remember, right? Mm. The, The moment that boys and girls started to have that inclination. They remember that and they weren't sexually abused. They weren't, you know, uh, nothing happened to them while at the same time, there's probably a number of people who, uh, have great shame for sexual abuse that happened to them. Um, that now they're confused, uh, about their sexuality in, gen- uh, in general. And, uh, and so I, I think, one of the things that we can take away from Pride Month, uh, just on the surface, is this idea that you know, we love uh, people because they're made in the image of God. Mm. And, and we value people because they're made in the image of God. And anything that would make them feel less than or uh, felt shame, shamed over, um, we, we need to honor the Imago Day in those people. Um, mm. and they, if, if you have friends who are gay or same sex attracted, you realize how much of a burden that is, uh, on their lives. There's, there's, uh, for me, knowing people who have come up in the church, um, obviously there's other people who have just, you know, kind of given over to their flesh in, in so many ways and, uh, just are like, do whatever you want to do. Um, uh, but there, there are some folks who, just have been same sex attracted as long as they can remember and they hate themselves for it. Mm. And so, um, and they think less of themselves for it. And there's a burden that they have to carry. Um, that's different than, than people who are heterosexual. And so, um, I just want to be mindful of that. Like I can take that from pride month. Um, and pretty much that's probably going to be all I take. So it does feel like, for the Christian, the driving force should be, what does it look like to love your neighbor in situations like this? Like, I feel like we're going to talk about words from a pastor later who basically calls the culture wars a good versus evil thing. I'll give you a little heads up. I don't agree with him. But um, it does feel like Christians have one of two stances here. Like, I'm going to be... um, You know, I'm going to be really aggressive in my quote unquote viewpoint or whatever else, or I'm going to look at how I can disagree. Even if, if you do disagree without being disagreeable and still love my neighbor, like, do you ever feel like the, I, the call to love your neighbor in this culture that we live in now is kind of looked down upon. Like it's seen as like kind of soft and you're like, wait, but that was the words of, 
of Jesus. He called that the greatest commandment. I feel like there's a lot of churches who like very much look sideways towards that call, love your neighbor. You know what I mean? That that almost made me throw up in my mouth. <laughs> uh, and not to be too self-righteous, but like if we're not doing if we're not about that, then what are we about? Right. Um, if if we're not about the words of Jesus, uh, what are we about? What what is the what is our purpose? Yeah. Um, so that that just makes me incredibly sad. Yeah, but I think it's uh, sadly. Hopefully, maybe people think I'm wrong, but I actually think uh, it's true, and I think we're going to see it in something I'm going to read for you later. So. I know that's out there for a lot of people right now, like Pride Month. What do we do? Do we sit it out? Do we you know, post stuff? The real question is, how can I love my neighbor? How can I continue to stand up for what I believe in, but in a, in a Christ-like way? I don't know. It's it's going to keep getting interesting as we try to figure all of these things out. Coming up next, I found this article interesting. Five metaphors that describe why in-person in attendance at church only grows in importance. I know it's not COVID anymore, so we're not talking about virtual versus online, but a lot of people not going to church these days. I want to ask you about some of these metaphors and why it's important to go to church. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Oh, for your life. Steve is uh, the proud parent of an almost two-year-old and a six-and-a-half-week-year-old. So right there, some of you out there are like, I feel stressed and tired immediately. Steve, as we're doing this show, is drinking coffee. I just need to know, how much coffee are you currently drinking during a day? I think about 12 ounces a day. Uh Okay. Okay. That's not bad. I thought you were about to say 12 cups. (laughs) 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 Just to keep you going. (laughs) I think I might get fried. You might see me in the ICU if that happened. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, later on in the show, I am going to ask Steve, uh, I'm going to prep him here for the deep question. How is fatherhood, fatherhood and particularly uh, new fatherhood of two uh, changed him? How has it influenced? How has it done? What's it done in his life? So we're going to get to that later on. But first, we're both pastors. Steve is at Renewal Church in Chicago. I am at Four Corners Community Church uh, in Darien. And so coming out of the pandemic, there was this all this conversation about um in-person church, people coming back to church. Are people going to be in person? And you're starting to see people come back. But Tom Rainer, he wrote this, five metaphors that describe why in-person attendance in church will only continue to grow in importance. Before I read these to you, Steve, uh, A, I'm assuming you guys have seen most people come back. You probably still put stuff online and this and that. Is that true? And two, if people say to you, I just like watching online, I don't need to come to church. What do you tell them? Why do you think in-person church is important if you do? So take both of those. Wow. Um, yeah, we, we've seen uh, the majority of people come back in person. I think for a lot of people, um, and I, I don't have, I just have a great sense of what this looks like, I think, in our church. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how it looks in other people's churches. But I think that for a lot of people, they realize like that in-person touch point was actually really, really important to them. Mm-hmm. And um, and even like, man, I don't have friends. I don't you know, I've spent a, a year in isolation 
I need human connection. I think like literally your brain neurology uh, yes. uh, is like, yo, you, you need this. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to a number of uh, therapists and uh, psychologists who actually say that like it's good for your mental health to sing with other people. It's good for to sing with uh, other people to sing with other people. And then one of the things that the pandemic did is it took away those secondary relationships. So maybe we have our uh, spouse and our kids or our mom and dad, but we no longer have those secondary uh, relationships, those, Hey, how's it, how are you doing? Uh, mm-hmm. I was thinking of you this week. Uh, those things. And those things are actually good for your mental and emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, just say, having somebody ask you how you're doing, um, yeah. having somebody pray for you, stuff, stuff like that is, uh, I, you know, it's a wonder. Like you look at the human uh, human psychology and the way God designed the church and you're like, oh, at its best, the church is like this needed uh, community for our own human flourishing. Hmm. Um, and then I, I think for the people that say, man, I just, I'm just watching online. Um, I, I still think they even get the value of being in person. I just think the convenience of watching online, uh, gets them caught up sometimes. And then there's still yet other people, you know, I, I know that for some folks, like you move to a new place, I'm thinking of family who have moved to a new place. Uh, from a, a one city to another city, and they're trying to get uh, themselves together. They got jobs, new jobs. They're trying to get that settled. They got young kids. And so it is a challenge to get a couple of kids out of the house into uh, a church, especially a new church that you don't know uh, if you're an introverted person. Um, but at the same time, you know, where are those secondary relationships going to come from? Where, yeah. where is that babysitter going to, you know what I mean? Like you go, you go to church and we, you know, Acts two forty two we, we care for the needs of one another mm-hmm. and no one has a need. You, you need those extra people who can give you extra hands and extra support and extra, you know, and you need the outlet of being able to do that for others. And yeah. so that's what I would encourage. I would encourage somebody that the actual gathered corporate worship is an experience that's actually vital to your spiritual flourishing. Mm. I was talking to someone the other day who they had left, they'd stopped attending their local church because of issues, like not even nothing criminal, but, but like good reasons not to go to the church anymore, I suppose. But they were latching on to watching online a church in another state. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. And I don't know how long-term beneficial. I understand that as a bridge, but yeah. I don't know. That feels not beneficial. It feels to be missing the point to me, but I, I have heard of more and more people doing stuff like that lately. Yeah, we've had a couple of people who came into our membership as like, where were you going to church? Oh, I was going to Transformation Church, uh, Mike Todd's church online. And I even think that some of them were a part of like an online small group uh, at some point wow. in time with that church. Um, but I, I think that in the process of like, all right, I, I actually need a local community, a local connection is what got them to, to come over to, to our church. 
Yeah, yeah. So Tom Rayner at this article I referenced, he gives five metaphors. I just want you to pick the best one here. He says the role of the local church metaphorically, he says, here are five of my favorites. He says, one, the family meal versus the individual takeout dinner. Okay. Number two, a bonfire versus an electric heater. So a bonfire is kind of communal. Electric. They both heat up, but the electric heater, right, it's just kind of personal. Three, the live concert versus streaming music. Four, sailing together versus watching a travel show. Live theater, number five, live theater versus Netflix. I don't know. They all kind of have some value to them. Do you have a favorite one? I think I'm going family meal on that one. I like that. That's what I was going to say, the first one. I think it. the second one is also good, though. I like the, like, that seems really lonely to be sitting in front of a, a, a heater yes. versus sitting at a bonfire with a bunch of people. Yeah. I've used, you and I have talked about baseball. I've used my story of the importance of community or like the weirdness that we are, we're drawn to be like connected to people with similar faith, but also like baseball teams, right? Think about when you've gone to a baseball game. I'll never forget going to a Mets game. I'm a big Mets fan. Uh, The Mets winning in a walk-off and there being another Mets fan next to me who I hadn't met before that night. And by the end at the walk-off, we hugged each other. (laughs) And it was like, I could have watched that game by myself at home and it would have been awesome. I would have been jumping around, but something about doing it with another Mets fan was, uh, was kind of fun. Think about when the Cubs won the world series and how crazy people went. I don't know. There is something to the communal aspect. So let's close this way. The person who hasn't found their way back to church yet, they're still a Christian, but they've just not gotten back into a church. What would your encouragement be to them? My, my encouragement would be to ask yourself why, um, to be honest with yourself about, about what is your hesitation? You know, I think for some people it is sort of like the anxiety of coming into a new community, uh, the anxiety of meeting new people, um, uh, the, you know, even the, the value of, of comfort. But I, I think that the value of comfort, um, can also be like something that, is covering the fact that, and I'm just nervous about getting connected in a new, new place. And so it takes, it takes some courage. I I just want to, I want to say it takes some courage, but it's the absolute best thing for you. Um, you know, I know people are looking at even at like the Hillsong documentaries of the world Mm -hmm. and different things. And they're saying, look, see what, uh, organized faith and church hurt and this, that, and the other. But the truth of the matter is the majority of places aren't like that. And so um, I just want to encourage you to have courage to step out of your comfort zone. That's good. Courage is, is a good one. Coming up next, Steve, the question about when we dive into all of these culture war issues is, is this an issue of good versus evil? I want to read to you something that one pastor wrote and tell you a story next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Culture wars. Here's the here's the uh, quote I'd like to read for you. The U.S. is more sharply divided than ever as people move to the right or left on social issues and abandon the center. It's now good versus evil in the culture wars. All right. Can I tell before I uh, should I tell you who said that, who wrote that? It might cloud it a little bit for you. Who's that? Ed Stetzer? Mark Driscoll. That came from Mark Driscoll. And so 
you know, allow that to cloud it well, one way or the other. Said it's good versus evil. Yes. Okay. This, this, this is Mark Driscoll saying he's basically, and if you follow him on Twitter or anything, you know, whether he believes it or not, this is the route he's now taking. He's literally writing a book and preaching a series about how, uh, anyway, all about culture wars. But basically, I want to talk about his point. His point is there's no middle anymore, no middle ground for the Christian. People are running to the polls, and the polls are good versus evil. It's not I agree with this or I disagree with you. It's you're on the side of good, you're on the side of evil. You might think that he's being a little bit out there, but I shared this story once before, but um, I was in a group setting within the last couple months, and there was a a lady there who is a uh, a theologian, a, a follower of Jesus, all of this stuff. And the conversation turned a little bit political. I believe somebody said something about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like, I don't like her persona, how she acts, or something like that. It was very – you wouldn't have thought much about the comment. And this person got mad and basically said – that here, here's the, the basic quote, the time for being nice is no, like Christians can't be nice anymore because there's so much evil out there. This is a war. It's good versus evil. This was not a crazy person. This person, in fact, had a theology degree, had been in the church, all of these things. And so this isn't just a Driscoll thing, like let's light the fire. I think more and more and more people see the quote-unquote culture wars literally as a conversation of good versus evil where you can't kind of be like, hey, we agree to disagree about this or whatever else. Taking that whole package, this feels like the issue for Christians going forward. Like, how do we interact here? And I think a lot of us are uncomfortable by the people who've run to the polls uh, that's P-O-L-E-S, not the voting polls, but the, the kind of extremes. Uh, what do you do with this? What do you do with Driscoll as a pastor or the person I shared with you going, it's not about we can't be winsome and nice anymore. It's about good versus evil. And you now need to fight on the side of good. I think for like the Driscoll of the world, I think he has got to rebrand himself. Uh, and so uh, I agree. Uh <laughs> This There's is sort of like, a, yeah, this is sort of a rebranding that really fits his persona uh, in in a way. And so he can be embraced probably even by people who've never heard of uh, who've never heard of him before um, and and kind of agree, agree with uh, his politics to gain a, a larger following, which if you follow the rise and fall of Mars Hill seems to be kind of like a mode of operation for um, yes. for his ministry. Um, and then on the, on the other side of things where the, the, the specific woman with the theology degree, I, I just, I think that I, I'm always concerned at the, and this is, you know, I'm a 36 year old guy. I have a lot of theological education, but I, you know, I haven't been around the block forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think I'm like, so where where you find that in the Bible? Like mm. in the process, it just seems like we lose the authority of the Bible in different like right or left. Uh, and and the authority of the Bible becomes like the Bible has a lot to say about how we treat people. 
The Bible has a lot to say about how we interact. The Bible has a lot to say uh, about not being a jerk, um, in essence. It does. And so it it just makes me worry about, like, where does the authority of the Bible fit in um, with all of this stuff? And also to remind ourselves that we're not a part of this. We are always a part of a new. Our home is not here. Um, We're a part of another kingdom with another king. And so, uh, and we got to submit ourselves to that king's leadership. And so, I, I guess my thought is like, where where does the authority of the Bible fit in, uh, in when it comes to these this idea of the culture wars? And then, last thing, yeah, go ahead. I think that we really want to oversimplify things. I, I think that we want to put the conversation about women in ministry. We want to put the conversation about. Um, homosexuality, we want to put the conversation about um, race, all in sort of like, we, we want to distill it down and take away all of its its complexity, all of its uh, accoutrements, all, all of the things that um, are just the reality of life and circumstance. Mm. And we, we want to have the one answer for how we should be about something. And um, and that's the thing that's going to fix everything. And, and it's not. It, the, but the person who you're becoming um, is the only thing that you get to hold with you mm-hmm. or take with you into eternity. And so I want to think more about my character and about how people experience me in the world um, and the things that I've done for Jesus in the way that he told me to live my life other, rather than the culture wars. So I think part of the culture war is that like, it simplifies how we should do Christianity. You know what I mean? It's just like, here's my one note that I have to play. I don't have to learn to play jazz. I just get to, I just got to play this one note and I'll be good. I think where I felt like it really got beyond kind of my realm of, of understanding was like, we've mentioned his name multiple times. He recently passed away. Pastor Tim Keller, right? Keller, uh, you knew where he stood on things. So he was not a man without conviction, but he spoke a lot of times about I'm neither right nor left. He spoke a lot about winsomeness. He spoke a lot about the here's a scandal, listening to the people that disagree with you and who you disagree with, of giving open forum to people. And in the last year or two of his life, let's just be honest, the Christian world, the right wing Christian world kind of I don't mean literally killed him, kind of like just beat him up over his beliefs. And I remember thinking to myself after an article I read like a year ago going, if we're going to like crucify Tim Keller, I feel like we've got it wrong because I'm like, I want to live like that guy is living in society. I totally agree. And and on most things, I wanted to hear what he had to say about something, because at the very least, I think there was a nugget of wisdom that came along with it um, that fit more with Jesus than it fit with, with current culture, society. That's right. That's right. It, this is it going forward. How are we going to live in a culture that even our brothers and sisters in Christ see as a war that's good versus evil? I, I noticed I'm not comfortable with that language. And uh, cause I think it leads to us to treat people badly. And so uh, a lot of you probably disagree with us out there, but it's worth wrestling with. Coming up next, Steve is now the father of two. I want to find out how fatherhood has changed him 
Uh, next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life, alongside Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. Steve is sitting in for Aubrey Sampson, my normal co-host. Aubrey is on vacation this week, so Steve is, uh, he doesn't have enough going on in his life. So he's <laughs> like, you know what? He called us up. He's like, I'm looking for some stuff to do right now, so. I uh, know I'm thrilled that Steve, when we sent out the bat signal, he answered for us. So Steve is in this week. Uh, Steve, you, like you said, you're taking on more of a role at your church as your kind of uh, your buddy and lead pastor goes on sabbatical. You're at Renewal Church in Chicago. Um, but more so, you have a, what'd you say, 21 month old son? Yep. And because that wasn't busy enough, you now added another. You have a six and a half a week old son. And so, uh, yeah, what a cre- you just moved. Yeah. Uh, we're still waiting. On- we're going to do your dog story soon. You, like all sorts of crazies. And you haven't actually been married that long. How long have you been married? It'll be four years in uh, December. You've done a lot in four years, my friend. (laughs) You've done a lot in four years. So you're probably in the midst of the storm, good and bad. So this is a hard thing to answer. But how is fatherhood in 21 months, but maybe even over these last six weeks, how have they changed you? What have they taught you about yourself? And then we'll try to even broaden it out to what have they taught you about God. But just about yourself, how have you been changed by becoming a dad and then a dad for the second time? Man, that, I, I've, I've been thinking about that um, a lot. I think especially becoming a dad the second time, I, I think that I spent a lot of time in my 20s thinking about um, the trajectory of my life. Uh, thinking about the my vocation, what I wanted to to get out of life, and then I think having the second child, it's just the realization that hey, you're 36 years old, and these kids need their dad more than mm. you need the perfect vocation, and and I I don't know that I guess that that realization. Um, made me realize how much I think about myself um, and the things that I want out of life. And so I think having a second child has been like, man, I just, I got to get my eyes off of me and onto this family, onto these, uh, these kids and, and the trajectory that I want to put them on. Um, And, and then I, I don't, I I guess I, I start to realize like the really cool things about life um, yeah. oftentimes are in the mundane, um, everyday activity of changing a diaper and, you know, you have ups and downs and, uh, twists and turns and stuff like that. But like being able to see the world through my son's eyes, um, mm. is probably the greatest joy that I've ever had, um, in, yeah. life in general, um, and then, you know, my mom passed away and I'm an only child. Um, three years ago, my mom passed. And so for me, it's really cool to have like blood family that are, uh, you know, like people that I, <laughs> I think psychologists would call it being enmeshed um, mm. with somebody else. But I was really interconnected to my mom yeah. and losing her was, uh, was just really devastating. And, and then to have, uh, 
you know, it's one thing to have your spouse, but it's another thing to have these, these kids that are a part of you, um, that now you're like the, the tribal leader of the, <laughs> of the, of the crew, um, is really interesting. And especially having a second son, it's just like, you have one son and obviously it's super cool, but now I have this feeling of like, I gotta like raise some men, you know, I gotta raise a team. <laughs> Yeah. Um, with different personalities and, and, you know, it's pretty cool. It's intimidating and pretty cool at the same time. Yeah. What's the, I, I love what you said about, cause I, I remember when my kids were young, this being the case, help people understand what you mean by like seeing the world through your 21 month old, like, cause I, I remember the wonder that my oldest daughter, when she was little, little, I remember her, I'll never forget this story. She, we had a big window at the front of our house and she was staring out the front window and we were like, sweetie, what are you doing? She was like the age of your kid right now, like two or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We're like, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm looking for giraffes. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just like, yes. Okay. Keep looking, like keep looking out that front window. Uh, another time, my youngest daughter, we went to Brookfield Zoo and we had a membership there. And so just her and I would go and I took her and she goes, I go, sweetie, what's the first exhibit you want to see? And with the absolute um, honesty, she looked at me and said, daddy, I want to go see the unicorns. And I was like, <laughs> ask, I, I literally said to her, ask your mom. I said, the exhibit's closed. Ask your mom next time. <laughs> <laughs> But that idea of seeing the eye, seeing the world through the eyes of our kids, what's that been like for you? How has that played out? Um, it's very similar. Like uh, thinking about the the wonder, the imagination, thinking about them seeing something for the first time. Um, I think yesterday we talked about joy and um, joy in the small things. And I think mm -hmm. that there's like a part of like seeing your kids experience something um, for the first time and realizing that it, there's um, – like there's something that's actually pretty cool about that. Um, and, and so my son is obsessed with, uh, trucks right now. He's obsessed with, uh, nice. um, yeah, anything that's a truck. So if you, if you, if there's a big truck that, that comes by, you got to stop and you got to go check it out. And, um, and he's really obsessed with the, with people who come to cut the grass uh, and take care of the lawn. <laughs> and so he's just mesmerized by, by it. Um, and so you literally have to stop and wait with him to, um, to see all of what's, what's going on. And he's just taking it all in, right. He's just trying yep, to figure it, yep. figure it all out. And so, um, those are really, uh, sweet times. He's starting to use words now. So like you can see him compute in his head. Like there's certain things that like, you, you can tell like, man, you're really smart, but you haven't made the connection between what you know and how to say it. Yes. And, um, and so that's really, really fun to, to watch him like figure, figure that stuff out. This morning he got up and, uh, he was holding his folded blanket under his arm and put his arm outside of the crib. Like, let's go. But it's like I'm obviously taking my blanket with me wherever <laughs> wherever it is that we go, and so it's just like stuff stuff like that that it's fun. It's so fun. I remember my old co-host Ian Simpkins. Uh, we, he had little little kids when we were doing the show, and he said one thing that I love, but I had to get used to was now 
I was like, if we went on a walk and he, my son stops to yeah. go look at things, I got to stop. Like I, again, he's like my whole life. I've been used to just, I'm going from here to there and I walk at my pace and I do this. And he's like, my kid might stop. And I don't know how long we're stopping for. <laughs> just He wants to play with dirt. He wants to play with rocks. He wants to do whatever. So, uh, and there's a whole other conversation we had about what it teaches us about God, but man. So my second and third kids are roughly the same age difference that your first two are. And mm. it's a, it's a, it's awesome, but it's tight. It, they're, they're, that's close. That's close. Do they get along? Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. So my first, all three of my kids get along well, but it was different. My first to my second, because we had some trouble getting pregnant in between them, are almost four years apart. Like they're oh, cool. a good distance. So it was almost like having two first kids. And then second to third was like 19 months. And you're like, Oh, that's what people talk about. <laughs> so, so all three, but those first, those two, they're a year apart in school. Like they get along great. So uh, no, you did it right, man. The, your boys will be buddies. They'll want to kill each other at times, but they'll be buddies and they'll yeah. have fun. So, uh, and you get to coach one team maybe instead of two. So for Steve Coble, my name is Brian Fromm. We hope that you have a great night out there and join us again tomorrow. You've been listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life.